The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What does it mean to be present? To try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Welcome to the conversation today. I'm so glad you guys could tune in. So here's a question for you. How would you like to feel more joy in your life? Show of hands, right? (laughs) Everybody's like, I want to feel joy. With everything going on in the world, I'm sure you can agree that we need it. And many of us are feeling depleted, depressed, isolated, and disconnected from many of the things that made us happy. And we're going to try to shift that today. We're going to try to shift back into happy and reconnect with some of the things that brought us joy. My guest today is Lisa McCourt, and she's a fellow podcaster here on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. And she's also an author that I worked with during my Hay House days. And she had a book out then called Juicy Joy. And she was always so positive and joyful then. And I'm happy to say that's continuing. She's been making it her life's work to help people cultivate authentic, lasting joy, peace, and fulfillment in their lives. And she's also a best-selling children's book author and the creator of Joy School. And I'm really happy to welcome her onto my humble podcast today. And we're going to be talking about her new book, which is a roadmap for all of us. And I hope people can spend some time with it. It's called Free Your Joy, 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness. And welcome, Lisa, from my fabulous home state of Florida. Hi, Diane. It is always such a joy to get to play with you. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Well, this is so fun, and I'm, I'm so glad that we can talk about your book and your work and, and let people know what you're doing. So in your work and on your podcast, which I'm going to plug here, Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast, you talk about raising your vibration. And I think when people sometimes hear the word vibration and frequencies and things like that, they get you know a little, a little worried or they think it's too woo-woo. Um, so just to kind of start off, how would you describe raising your vibration, you know, to someone who's never heard that phrase, because you think, what does that mean? Should I like vibrate here like a tuning fork? Or, you know, how can I raise my vibration? So maybe we can get people kind of thinking about what that energy is. 
Yeah, that's a, a funny place to start. I agree that that's not terminology that everybody is really tuned into. But that really is the sciencey part. You know, like I, I don't talk a lot about the sciencey parts. I'm more the emotional, psychological aspect of this whole joy gig. But the vibrational frequency is something that's just really known and understood scientifically. Now we are vibrational beings. This is a vibrational universe. Einstein knew it and talked about it a lot. Uh, you know, many of the the thought leaders today that are completely shattering old paradigms like Joe Dispenza and Greg Braden and, and Bruce Lipton, they have way lot of documented science behind this that I don't know how to speak about intelligently, but I was around it enough that it just became second nature to me to understand that we are all vibrational creatures. And we can we we can all look to our own experiences to understand that. We've all heard the, you know, good vibes, bad vibes, that guy gives me bad vibes. You know, we we know that we walk into our room sometimes and feel something that's not something we're seeing with our eyes or hearing with our ears, right? It, it really is a, a vibrational sense of what's happening in that space or what's happening from someone around us. We're mostly water. We can see what happens when you drop a pebble into water. It's it's really no different. It's just on an, on an unseen level, but it is one of the more uh, scientifically validated parts of this whole paradigm that we talk about. And understanding that it exists is one thing. And and your work and when you work with people, we're, we're trying to raise it up, right? So what mm-hmm. are the benefits of bringing our vibration out of the, the lower level where probably a lot of us are residing these days? Yeah, I mean, the number one thing affecting our vibration is our thoughts. And we've all been conditioned to identify with our thoughts. We think, you know, I, I think therefore I am was the biggest mistake to ever happen in philosophy. We're, we're all having thoughts all day long that are based in things that aren't really real or true. It's all based on our perception of the world around us, the way we're seeing it, which is a very, very, very limited view of whatever we might consider objective reality. We're all seeing the world through a keyhole. None of our keyholes are lined up. It's the product of all of these beliefs that we acquire and nurture and feed throughout our lives that start when we're really, really young, before we have emotional maturity, before we have the bandwidth to process the heavy things that are are happening in our experience. And because we all have these blinders and this framework that we're experiencing the world through, we attach to these thoughts that are lowering our vibration. And it's a habit. Habits aren't easy to break, but it's possible people break hard habits all the time. So it's really about understanding what's going on so that we can be more intentional and deliberate with where we place our focus and attention. And then our vibration will naturally rise. Our quirks want to float. Right. Or the, um, I've heard a description of like keeping the beach ball under the water. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think uh, maybe Ariel Ford mentioned that or, or Debbie it's Ford. Debbie Ford originally. Yeah. Debbie yeah. Ford that a lot. Yeah, we're all keeping multiple beach balls under the water because we think that's what we have to do to manage life here, manage our joy. But all of that repressed emotion, it's just stored. It's stored away in there. And something that triggers us in our external life is going to resonate vibrationally with these stored emotions and, and cause them to uh, to pop up out of the water again. Well, this book is so experiential. I want to talk about some of the things that come up, you know, as I've been reading through the book. And 
you describe it, it's meant to be savored, you know, over a year to work with the different exercises and what you call home play, which sounds a lot more fun than homework for sure. And so I just wanted to find out about the process. And as, as people are getting into the book, you know, and working with the information, you know, why you laid it out the way you did. I mean, was it from, you know, taken from all of your uh, years of working with people in joy school and your students and things like that. And so just kind of really seeing what worked and what didn't. It definitely is. It definitely is. And my own naivety, naivety whatever that word is. Yes. My naivete. own being. <laughs> yes. Naivete, thank you. Um, around how I used to approach this idea of I'm going to pass on these spiritual principles and these nuggets because they've been so transformational in my life. And if I just polish them all up and hand them all over, then everybody's going to read them and their life's going to turn around in an instant. And just really realizing over time that that's not the way transformation happens. It's, you know, we can go on a weekend workshop, we can listen to an amazing podcast or read an amazing book, and we'll have some openings and some ahas and some really cool, shiny moments that we can hang on to, but it doesn't actually change your, your vibrational state, what we call your joy set point and joy school until you take that into your day-to-day life. So that's why I structured the book this way with the 52 home play exercises for the well, 53, all the weeks of the year so that people can sort of absorb something, integrate it, and then go take that into their day-to-day experience because that's what actually will change that setting, that joy set point so that you react to the world differently. You have different uh, things going on in your body when things trigger you. It it, it comes from applying it to your life. And that's why I broke it down into a a year-long progress. I can't ensure that anybody does that. You know, anybody's totally welcome to read the book at whatever pace they feel is right. And some people have told me, I read it through from cover to cover, and now I'm going to go back and and do a a week by week, you know, using all the home play. But I just wanted to get the whole outline and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a a beautiful way to approach it as well. But I, I just really, really wanted to turn the dial for folks. And, and I knew that the best way to ensure that's going to happen is if they really take each principle into their lives and have time to do that. That's a great point to give yourself that time, because I think uh, sometimes we're in such a, a, a quick fix society where, you know, we want it now and this better, this better happen now. And really change can be subtle and, and change takes time to sink in. And like you said, a lot of the uh, beliefs and things that are ingrained that sometimes we don't even know what we believe until we start peeling back the onion, right? And and giving ourselves time to sit with it and change. And your book has a lot of those aha moments in it that I think people are really going to benefit, you know, after they spend some time and and savor it, you know, Thank you. Over, yeah. over the year, whether it's a year or whether you read through it first, because that's because honestly, that's kind of how I did it before we were going to talk today. I'm like, Oh, I want to go back to this. I think I'm going to go back to this because you, you suggest getting a journal, you know, and, and kind of sitting with it and, and writing. And that's something I'm trying to get back into myself is, you know, starting to just write down ideas and it doesn't have to be a big manifesto. It can be a l- little bit at a time and, and sitting with what comes up. 
Yeah, that's the way to personalize it for sure. And I just also want to make clear that even though the the big joy elevation moment is at that year mark, you see the results the whole year through. It's like every little step we take toward our joy expands our joy and expands our acceptance and our surrender to life around us. So it's not like you're waiting all year for that one payoff moment. The payoffs happen all year long. Right. And you can kind of, so do you think, I mean, joy would be the goal, but if you can get to a nice level of contentment, is that pretty good too? <laughs> and, and that really is synonymous with joy. Joy in the way we describe it in joy school isn't necessarily happiness in every moment. It's a, a freedom feeling. It's a rightness in all of the emotions available to us. We are here as human creatures with the spectrum of emotion. Every one of them is valid. Every one of them can have an undercurrent of joy in it. When we don't try to make it wrong or suppress it or deny it, like that, that whole beach ball analogy, when we just can have respect and compassion for ourselves right there in whatever we're feeling and know that that is a valid, legitimate feeling and and love ourselves in the feeling of it, it has the opportunity to flow through us and, and be released. And that's that's what it means to be vibrantly alive. Well, there's 12 keys in the book, like, like you had described, you know, over going over, um, you know, a whole year. And I know we won't have, we would take, it would be like hours of a podcast, you know, to go over every key, but I wanted to dig into some of the significant ones and, and some of the ones that I've been reading and, you know, starting out with the first one and awaken the observer. And there's, there's just so many great points, even in just this first one. And you were talking about intentions and I love to set intentions and, and try to be focused on, on what I really want. You know, sometimes it's easy to get distracted. I mean, by intentions, do you mean goals or is there a, a subtle difference in that? There is a difference. And and we, we start out by saying, what what is joy to you? What would a joyful life look like for you? And for most people, there are quite a few external circumstances there. There's relationship goals or intentions and there's job or career or finance or toys or leisure pursuits. And those are all perfectly valid. And a lot of people, given that opportunity, what would joy mean to you? will also throw in more self-confidence, more inner peace. All of those are what we call factors of the external landscape. So it's great to know what those are. And it's great to have an understanding that none of those things are really going to make you happy. We have this completely backward understanding that we we get that job, we get that relationship in place, we get that home, and then I get to feel happy. It's not an external to internal equation. It's always an internal to external equation. We have to elevate our vibration as we were discussing, we have to elevate what's going on in our internal landscape in order for the energy to go out there and create something different in our external landscape. But that doesn't mean we ignore it. We always say that we travel two parallel paths in joy school. One is about learning how to nurture and curate that inner landscape for a higher experience of, of inner peace and acceptance and joy and compassion for self and others. And then the parallel path to that is manifestation of those goodies out there, just because it's fun, just because we're here to have a human life. And that means wanting things and creating them. So we do both with the clear understanding that those external factors are going to change a million times and they're not really what's going to contribute to our happiness. So, I, well, I, I'm trying, I'm working on my intentions. <laughs> I do have, I do have pretty strong intentions. Um, 
to try to, you know, push things forward. And I, and I love that you're on here because I'm going to be able to ask questions that are going to benefit me personally, <laughs> in addition to the that. listeners, you know, so I'm going to take it, I'm going to take advantage of that. So one of the things that you mentioned in the book, in the first key, and this gave me pause, whenever, whatever joy you are currently experiencing is the precise measure of the amount of joy you deep down feel you are worthy of experiencing. So when I read that, I thought, whoa, am I really somehow not feeling that I'm worthy? But I, I say that I believe I'm worthy of joy, but maybe I'm really not, you know, and then you went on to say that we're kind of energetically handcuffing the universe. And, and I love that visual. So I just wanted to talk about that because I think feelings of being worthy and, and self-worth, it, it's just so important because we're so down on ourselves generally all the time. And feel that that we're not, even when we when we outwardly tell the world, "Oh yeah, I deserve this. I should have this." It's so common and widespread to have feelings of unworthiness and undeservingness, and most of it is under the radar of our conscious attention. And I mean, I would invite you, Diane, to look at all the the fabulousness that you've created. Look at all your accomplishments and all that you've done and all that you've brought to the world. You obviously believe you're worthy of a lot of goodness because you've created a lot of goodness. But for all of us, it's a, a deservingness valve that opens gradually over time as we do this work, as we understand more and more the nature of our inherent worthiness and deservingness. And it's not like the, the valve doesn't go from trickle to tidal wave. We really need to intentionally stretch it. And it doesn't mean oh, I must not be a worthy person because, I mean, look at all that you have created. That's definitely a, a factor of you knowing that you deserved to have created that. And it's an ongoing process for every one of us in this human body. It is. It's funny. I know you had spoken to Coot Blackson uh, recently, and then I spoke to him about this too, where outwardly, like, I'll say, oh, I'm worthy. And, and people will say, oh, you know what you're doing. This is so great. And then inwardly, you know, in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, when I'm staring up at the ceiling, uh, I, that's when the fears creep in, right? I can't, oh, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. How can I, how can I do this? It's, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. You know, who, who am I to try to, you know, get this network going? I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. And I, and I do have a business partner. I'll mention Tina. I'm not doing all this alone. Obviously, I, I, there's no way, impossibility. But I guess it, it's not that I don't feel worthy. Maybe it's not smart enough. Would that be the similar thing? <laughs> I'm not smart <laughs> enough. I have to go back and learn all this stuff. There's a new social media thing now called Thread. Now I have to learn that, you know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> but, but just that belief right there that I'm not smart enough belief, that's just another flavor of unworthiness. And that right. got in your filter somewhere in your childhood, somewhere where you were developing what we call your bucket beliefs in joy school. Every one of us, when we arrive here in this earth school, we have this burning desire to understand what's going on here. What are the rules? What is my place in it all? What does love mean? What does money mean? What does power mean? What are men? What are women? We are so eager for this information and we create these buckets of our very, very, very first impressions of what it all means. And the way awareness is programmed, we then go through life looking for more and more evidence to put into those buckets rather than allowing for something different to emerge rather to allowing for any kind of bucket that might have contrary information. That's too confusing. We want to make sense of it all. We want to keep it straight. 
And this is how our little keyhole of perception gets developed. Joe Dispenza talks about the 400 billion bits of information in every given moment that could be perceived. And our little tiny human brains have only evolved to perceive about 50 bits intelligently, like in in a way that we can absorb and process it. So it's always going to be through the filter of whatever those buckets were that we set up. And I would say the fact that three o'clock in the morning, you wake up saying, I don't think I'm smart enough for this just means somewhere along the way. And it could have been the most subtle, innocuous thing. One of my joy schoolers tells the story and she's, she's beautiful, older woman. And she remembered in one of our processes being in the car on a long trip with her three years older sister. She was about four. She thinks her sister was maybe about seven And their mom had given them both identical coloring books to occupy them in the car. And after they had colored their books, the sister said, now let's see whose pictures are better and went through page by page. And she says she remembers just feeling so crushed, seeing that, oh, my sister's picture is better than mine. Oh, maybe on the next page, my picture will be better. But then no, throughout the whole book, her sister pointed out how much better her picture was than than this beautiful woman's was. And she she identified that as really a lifelong, I'm not as good at things as other people. I'm not as skillful. And I mean, that's how innocently these things can be born. It's really can be nothing that can create this belief that wakes us up at three o'clock in the morning. Maybe I'm not smart enough to do this. Somewhere along the way, that was just some wrong belief that got formed. <laughs> right. Like this little nugget. And you know, sometimes I'll look at when they roll credits on, you know, big movies or TV shows and it's like executive producer or so-and-so or head of this, so-and-so. I'm like, they're not any smarter than me. I'm I'm as smart as that person, whoever the head of whatever so-and-so is. Um, so it, it is funny, these internal conversations that you have. And I, I would probably say like, and I've looked, I've looked back at some of those fears and the the one I the pervasive one that I can always identify would be my my math fear of numbers, yeah. and that is what always kind of comes up where that the feeling of inadequacy is that, so that that's not my strong suit and, and will probably never will be, and I still have that fantasy of you know Goodwill Hunting where he writes these you know algorithms <laughs> like I oh I want to do that so badly I can just go in you know write on the chalkboard I know this you know, very difficult math equation. I can master it, but I, I don't know if I probably will not be able to do that. Although Louise would say, don't say that, right? Exactly. So- <laughs> what Louise would say. And that's just the result of something that happened along the way. So many women right. carry shame around numbers and math. It's just something that we got shamed for at some point along the way. I'm completely of that uh, category. Yeah. It's very common, right? And I could probably, if I dug and like peeled it way back, I think it would be like first or second grade or wherever you're trying to master. Maybe third grade is when you get multiplication tables. And I just had such a hard time remembering everything. And all my math would come back with red X, red X, red X. And I still hate red pens. You know, to this day, I won't use a red pen because that just means wrong, wrong, wrong. Um, Such a good example. Right. So anyway, see, anyway, I'm throwing myself on the couch. (laughs) Uh, for for some of this stuff. But I do think that it it is, you're right. It it is, it is very common. 
Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Um, and you were you mentioned manifestation, and I wanted to I wanted to bring that up because I I still I love that visual of energetically handcuffing the universe from giving us what what we want, and I I do believe we that we do make that happen. You know, we keep the universe from giving us what we want because I I think that God, the universe, or whatever you think that is, wants us to be happy. Right? We weren't put here to suffer on this earth. Some people may believe that we do, but we're not. And I know those words get thrown around, manifesting, manifestation. It's kind of a mystical, magical thing. But, you know, what would you say your definition of of manifesting is and bringing those things into our life that we want? We are 100% manifesting in every second of our lives simply by the energy that we're emitting. It's those vibrations that we talked about that goes out into this, this vibrational field and brings back the same, the same vibration of thing. And that's, you know, just even talking about the red pen. It's so funny. We all have avoidances and preferences that we have no idea where it came from. You identified in that moment where your dislike of red pens came from, but we're all walking around with hundreds of of these accumulated likes and dislikes that we don't really understand. And the signals that we send out are a product of these beliefs that we've we've continued to feed, right? You know yourself to be this capable woman who watches the credits roll and, and knows that you're just as capable as every one of those. And you wake up at 3 a.m. and say, maybe I'm not smart <laughs> enough to do this. So you're just, you're sending out a mixed bag of vibrational frequencies like every one of us is because every one of us can look at our life and say, oh, I manifested that. Good on me. I'm a powerful manifester. And, oh, I manifested that we're all sending out a mixed bag. And the more clear we get at being the observer, figuring out where these energies are coming from that we're sending out, questioning those beliefs that cross our minds. You know, if you questioned that uh, I'm not smart enough, if you had some sort of insight around where that came from or was developed and you could recognize that's a belief that I created as a child, I am letting child me determine what I manifest in my life right now. There was no validity to that. Just kind of going through that intellectual process of recognizing that most of the beliefs that cross our mind that are negative about us or the world were based in nonsense. It lets us open up to moving the keyhole around and finding evidence for where you are super smart and maybe even finding some evidence of where you're super smart in math, you know, because the evidence has always been there in the 400 billion bits that we've been blinded to. And, and that just naturally allows a different energy to go out and manifest in a different way. And sometimes it can happen so quick. It's like the magic is absolutely magical when you open to it and watch for it. And we see it in Joy School all the time where we come back and report on, on these little experiments that we do with manifestation. It is absolutely across the board magical. 
when when somebody is ready to believe that it can be because without the belief the magic can't show up you have to have that little little opening that little crack of belief and then a little bit trickles in and you see it and you believe bigger and believe bigger and believe bigger and everything shifts right i know i love that i love what you're saying and i'm i'm next time that i wake up at three o'clock in the morning staring at the ceiling i'm going to you know question like, why, why am I going down this dark and creepy path in that neighborhood in my mind that I shouldn't visit and get back <laughs> on, you know, and that's where I'll, a lot of times I'll use a Louise affirmation, you know, if I start going down that path and it's kind of a pattern interrupt and then I'll say, you know, all is well, everything is working out for my greater good. That's my favorite Louise affirmation. And usually that'll help kind of jump me back into, into the right place. But yeah, it, it's, it's so easy to send out those mixed signals and we mm. really are handcuffing the universe and kind of throwing a, a shroud over our ability to shine and really manifest and bring those things in. So I'm so glad you reminded me of this. See, and like I you think, think oh, that- you're around all these people. I should know this, but. But, but I think that's why the Louise uh, affirmations work for you because you've been around that enough to know that there's truth in it. You know, that there's yes. truth in that affirmations for somebody just learning about affirmations often do not do a thing because they're saying this one thing, but their belief is the opposite. And sometimes the more we say it and the harder we say it and the more desperately we say it, the more we're just enforcing, this is not what I believe. <laughs> you know, Otherwise, yes. why am I going through all this? So affirmations can be tricky, but I'm sure for you, it's effective because you know that there's truth in it. And yes, no, that's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's why a lot of times people will disregard you know, something, uh, some of Louise's work with that, you know, with affirmations, and then they'll feel bad about themselves that it doesn't work. Right. And say, this is ridiculous. This isn't working. Yeah, that that's true. That's a really good point. Cause we'll try and, and another, force ourselves. Yeah. Another thing I want to point out is you, when I, when I was talking about, if you, you know, wake up with this crazy story, if you can remember that was just a story I made up. It doesn't mean you have to have the memory of when you made it up. The actual memory sometimes never surfaces for people. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But you don't have to have a memory of, oh, this is probably where I made up this false belief about me being not smart enough to do this. All you have to do is notice that it's been a recurring belief. Like, oh, I remember thinking that before. And I remember thinking that before. I wonder where that came from. Doesn't matter where it came from as long as you recognize that it did did originate in something that was very likely untrue and just the perceptions of a child. Right. And beliefs are so crazy, aren't they? Yeah. And how powerful they can be and how they can direct where we go in life, the the choices that we make from beliefs that oftentimes are rooted in something that, that isn't true. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating. And, so, and we uh, continue to, to shore them up too. It's like, yes, that's how that's where our keyholes lined up. We're going to look for evidence and we're going to create evidence. We're going to create evidence to to solidify that belief because that's how desperate we have this need to want to know that we're right, right? I I must be right about this or I'm I'm ashamed, you know, think about when you're in school, if you have the right answer, you're given gold stars and praise and you're admired and you have the wrong answer enough times, you're ashamed and made to feel less than. So we all just want to be right about our beliefs, even when our beliefs are making us miserable. We're such weird creatures. That's so true. Then you get the red pen. You get yeah. the, dreaded, the dreaded red pen. Boy, I hated that. I just the look at the color on the paper. I'm like, oh, no, it's wrong. So yeah. that, that's probably where a lot, a lot of that 
a lot of that comes from. So a couple other things that you that you bring up in in the book, um, you know, you talk about the benefits of meditation and, and how that's worked for you. Um, one of the benefits for me of being at Hay House was I got to learn meditation from a wonderful teacher, David G. And uh, you might have um, have met, I'm sure you have met David G and, and mm-hmm. spoken with him. So I've been always trying to kind of reboot my meditation practice and, you know, get get more regular with it. Um, one of the things that really benefited me over the COVID experience was taking meditative walks. And, and I still do that a lot now um, is probably the best form of meditation that I do. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say, like for people, it can be different things. Like for me, I like to walk and, and be in silence. Some people like to sit. Some people like to use some meditative music. I mean, what's your process with that? I'm so glad you brought that up because I do think that that uh, meditation expectation scares a lot of people away. So I I do really try to devote that whole chapter to all the alternatives and things you could try and things you could do. I like to shake it up. I've done walking meditations in the past. It's way too hot down here in Florida for that right now at this time <laughs> of year. I like to ed- meditate in my AC in the summertime in Florida. But um, yeah, I've, I've done a lot of different kinds. I've always sort of defaulted to TM. That was my first meditation that I learned way, 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 way back in my earliest years, teen years, actually. And um, I've, I've experimented with combining different things with TM. I talk about that in the book. But, um, but I, I love to experiment. I love moving energy vocally. I love chanting. I love uh, kirtan meditations. To me, it just feels really good to to release vocally as part of a meditative practice. Me too. I love a uh, kirtan. I'm a big Krishna Das fan. Yeah, and I like doing that. And I did when I worked with David G. In, in TM, you get a mantra, you know, to use, uh-huh. and I found that so helpful. And I think people think maybe the the words or saying saying a mantra is weird, but for me, it was really um, kind of grounding, you know. And you didn't even have to focus so much on what it meant. Sometimes the word cannot really mean anything, but it just kind of keeps you, keeps you going on on that path. Exactly. It gives you something to, to put in the forefront. And then people, you know, in my joy school will say, I was using the mantra, but it didn't help. I was still having other thoughts. That's okay. The mantra isn't supposed to knock everything else out of your brain. Just let them, let them flow by. You just have the mantra to, to refocus your attention on. So when you have those other thoughts, that's okay. They can be there. Just you know, keep refocusing, refocusing on this word. And you're right. Don't you I think, think that, I mean, don't I do. you think that's a big misconception though, that people think that I have to clear my mind completely of every thought? Yeah, that's not going to happen for most of us. <laughs> you know? Right. Unless you're dead, then that there will probably be no thought, you know, but I think it's normal for when you're like, if I'm trying to meditate, I might be meditating. I'll think tuna sandwich. Um, <laughs> hear the cat, you know, or something weird, (laughs) like a random, a random thought. And then just what I learned with David G is you just let it go away, let it float away like a wave. Yep, for sure. Don't try to kick it out. Don't fight with it. That just keeps it more alive. You just let it float by, float out. And you also bring up something that I think is important to address in the book is that, you know, sitting with, life is challenging and sitting with pain and suffering and grief and, and experience loss. And I, I notice I follow you on Facebook and I notice you've, you mentioned people, you know, like your grandmother and people that you've lost that really meant a lot to you. And we're all going to experience those things. Right. And we're so uncomfortable with being uncomfortable, 
you know, and, and showing and showing grief and, and dealing with that. I mean, what's been your experience with that? Absolutely. I, I think that it's, it's almost comical when you think about, you know, if you were to hear somebody say, I don't plan to have any more challenges my whole life. I don't plan to have any more things that might cause me to feel negative emotion. We would laugh at that. We know that that's part of the human existence. We know we're going to lose people we love. We know we're going to ultimately die. And that is probably for most of us going to involve some sort of illness or infirmity along the way. You know, this is part of the human experience. And we still act all surprised and insulted when a challenge pops up for us, right? So I think just part of it is that reframe that we're here at Earth School so that we can just continue to master the way we embrace and approach these challenges and difficulties when they come up, right? It's if we're paying attention to it, if we're doing the kind of work that, you know, I know you promote through your network and and that I've always taught, if we're on that path, every opportunity, every, every challenge is a new opportunity to do it a little bit better this time than we did the last time a similar challenge came up. And that's how we expand ourselves. That's how we grow from it. And we can actually get almost to that, that Buddhist point of piti, which is one of the, the principles I talk about later in the book, where we're not really affected by this external environment because we know that we're, we're so much more than that. We're so much bigger and greater than that. And we have everything within us that's necessary to gracefully get through whatever happens out here. And that's just a practiced understanding. And the more we can apply it and see it in our lives, the better we get at, at doing it <laughs> when things bump up against us. Right. And we won't be so resistant. And I think that's where a lot of the pain is coming from because we're, we're so averse to, you know, oh, I don't want to feel this, you know, my heart's breaking and, and things are painful and they're going to happen. And I guess the more you can kind of have, have grace with that, the, the better, yeah. right? Yeah, because every time we deny it, it's just adding to that stored energy. All of these things that in our younger days, we didn't have the emotional bandwidth to process, they're actually chemicals that our body releases, the neuropeptides get stored in our cells. Greg Braden talks about it, you know, Bruce Lipton talks about it. And and these stored energies, if we just keep repressing that emotion, every time something comes up to let us feel it, we're just adding to that. And then we get more and more sensitive to those triggers that that match that stored energy vibrationally. Whereas when we can learn to embrace the feeling of it and just, yeah, my heart is breaking today. I'm going to be in my heartache. I'm going to take it into the bath with me, or I'm going to just have this really good cry, or I'm going to journal about it or share it with a friend. And I'm going to love myself right there because I've stored a lot of heartbreak. A lot of things have happened when I didn't have the the emotional maturity to deal with them. And I want to just love myself through all of that right now and feel it all and let it all come up. It's really freeing on the other side of that. And we're just all so afraid that it might be a bottomless pit that we're afraid to open that Pandora's box. But when we do in a skillful way, it, it frees us and it frees us from needing to attract more things out there to bump into us to give us the opportunity. Right, right. That's so true. So now that the book, well, the book will be out or it is coming out very soon. I noticed on Amazon, it was August as a release date. And this podcast, uh, as, as you're hearing it for the first time, will probably be before that. So the book will be out shortly. But I was just curious of out of all of the keys that you write about in the book, I mean, which one do you think is the most challenging for people when they start working with it? Or what has been 
th- the thing that you see like people break open or or become transformative and it, it might be more than one yeah it's an interesting question because i i have always tried to kind of get a sense of that and really i found that for different people it's different different keys and it's not always easy to tell in advance what's going to be so transformational for someone for some of us it's the the sort the voices chapter which I only have really learned in the last year. And that's why it was so important for me to put that in, um, you know, as, as a whole key itself. It's that we, we talk a lot about the horizontal self and the vertical self in Joy School. Those are Eckhart Tolle terms that he hasn't used in many years, but I've always used them in my Joy School to describe our, our egoic self, our mind, our all of those things, those limitations that we accumulate versus our soul self, right? Our spirit. Every person walking the planet has one, even though we've been conditioned to not pay a lot of attention to it. There's nobody without one. And our spirit tries to talk to us. Every one of us has a soul that talks to us. But for most of us, conditioned the way humanity has been conditioned at this point in time, the voice of our our horizontal self is so much louder and more insistent and grabbing our attention that it drowns out that softer voice. And so I guess I'm speaking for myself now and answering your question. That's something that just in the recent few years, I've been working with Victoria, another podcaster on this network. Victoria Shaw has been helping me with this on a really consistent, beautiful level. I I can tell the difference now. When I hear a voice in my head, I know if it's my egoic mind spinning some story that I created as a child that has no bearing in truth or reality, and that more subtle, quiet voice of my my soul. So for for me, I would say out of all the keys, that's been a really uh, transformative one recently. At other points in my life, it was other keys uh, right. for sure. Feel to heal. Feel to heal is is really tricky for a lot of people because just what we were talking about, it's scary to go there. It's scary to go to those dark places and know that we'll be okay and know that, that we deserve to have every feeling that we're having and there's nothing to be ashamed of there and there's nothing to deny and there's nothing to, you know, to want to keep tucked away because we're just here to have these beautiful feelings and every feeling is a gift. It's going to be interesting when you get more feedback from the book, like when it's out in the world, to see what affects people in what way, you know, and like you said, which key affects people m- most strongly. And I, and I love what you're saying about, because I feel that I'm, I'm like, I think Deepak said this one time, like when you think you know something, you know nothing, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm always, I'm always learning something. I'm like, wow, I didn't know this, or I'm learning how to handle a situation in a different way. And I'm being put in these situations that I've never been in, like working with someone on a business that we don't even live in the same state, you know, how does that work? And, and how having to communicate and, and communicating, you know, clearly with people. And so it, it, we're all, we all are always in this earth school, right. And, and always learning and growing. And, and when you mentioned voices, I related to that too, because I'm, I'm trying to hear that soul voice as opposed to the ego voice. And when I get quiet, sometimes when I'm staring at the ceiling three o'clock in the morning, I do hear the soul voice and it'll say, you know, it's okay. Just go to sleep. It's going to be okay. And then in, inevitably I'll wake up the next morning and I'll, I'll feel better. Like I had that, I don't know if it was an angel, that would be a whole other subject, but it's, it's the soul, you know, just kind of hugging you and saying, it's going to be okay. Just stop with, with this round and around that you're doing. So I think I'm starting to tune in more to that voice and recognize it instead of attaching to the ego. So that it is, that is an important distinction. 
for people to make. That's- and you're still learning it and you're teaching it. And you're a teacher, so you're learning too. Oh, learn, teach, learn, teach, learn, teach. That's my <laughs> MO all along since I started this journey and will be until I'm, you know, the sole. But you love to do this, I can tell. Don't you really get a satisfaction and when when you see it click with someone, you know, that's been in pain and then they can just let that go and, and experience joy? For sure. For sure. And I think that's the case. I have a, a rich network of friends who do very similar things to what I do. And and I think that that's just the, the common bond is once the curtain has been pulled back and you see what's what's really going on over there and you look around and notice that 90% of the people walking the planet haven't seen what's behind the curtain. It's just this burning desire to pull the curtain back for them. Like, look, y'all look, look at what is actually happening. It's so cool to show people that and and give them that gift of, of getting to understand how we're doing all this creating of our next moment and our next and our next. Right. Right. And that things can change. You can be happy you know, we're, we're all entitled to having happiness in this life experience in this world. We're not meant to suffer, you know, letting go of all of that, all of that crap that's holding us back and, and seeing, you know, how, how joyful it is. So I'm so glad you're spreading joy everywhere you go. Tell people where they can get in touch with you and maybe they'll be interested in joy school and, and tell me exactly the, what's going on with the book. Cause I'm, I'm seeing August as a release date. So that's when it's out in the world. August is when it's out in the world. Pre-orders are happening now. Everywhere books are sold. My uh, friends have come through with this amazing bundle of, of goodies that, that pre-orderers will have privy to online, private, intuitive readings and energy healings and downloads of whole books and music and meditations. And uh, part of it is a, a membership, a base membership in, in Joy School for a limited amount of time. So there are just like so many bonus things if you pre-order rather than waiting for it to come out. So please do that. And you can do that at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere, or there's all those buttons at my my website, lisamccourt.com, M-C-C-O-U-R-T. So yeah, that's what's going on with the book. For any local Floridians who are listening, we're doing a wonderful lunch party at Jamar Enlightenment Center in Palm Beach Gardens on August 25th. Let me know about that. If you're interested, I'll make sure you get an invitation to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Victoria and I are doing a retreat at Cactus Blossom Retreat Center. Absolutely phenomenal, magical property out there in Southern California. That will be in October 13th, 14th, and 15th. And that'll be a lot of what I teach in the book with uh, Victoria's magic added into that mix, which is a really lovely combination. Victoria and I do that combination the first Monday of every month online. If you can't make it to the live retreat in the in October, that's the first Monday of every month. And it's called First Monday Joy Connection. You can also find out about that at lisamaccord.com. I do Joy School Spotlight events the third Wednesday of every month, which is also a a la carte opportunity to experience Joy school where I have different guest teachers. Um, th- those are really wonderful. I've had Scott Stabile and C. Lowry and a lot of uh, a lot of beautiful teachers coming up. You are busy. You've got a lot going on. And I have to say, I have been to see Cactus Blossom and it is beautiful. I took the ride out to Escondido and um, paid a visit to uh, Victoria not too long ago. And she's another fabulous podcaster here on mindbodyspirit.fm. So, so exciting. And I'm, I'm so happy to be able to share this book 
with uh, anybody who happens to grab this podcast out there in, in podcast world. So if you are listening and you enjoy what I'm talking about here, please follow this podcast, leave a review if you feel moved. I would love that. And of course, uh, check out Lisa's podcast, Do Joy, Victoria Shawn, Intuitive Connection, and the other amazing podcasters and teachers on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And thanks so much, Lisa. It's been such a joy to talk to you today, for sure. It is always a joy to connect with you, my friend. Thank you so much. Loved our, loved our chat. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.